Welcome to the Freedom House Church weekend message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Good morning, church. It is still morning just by a little bit, almost afternoon. Hey, we are so glad that you are with us today at Freedom House. Uh, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online, um, I saw so many states that they put up before. They just added some more to it. New York, Alabama, Tennessee, France. I know Brazil was on there. North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, all kinds of states were joining in today. And so we're glad to have all of you watching along with us today. Um, I just wanted to kick things off. First of all, my name is Penny Maxwell. My husband, Troy, and I are the senior pastors here. Uh, he is actually speaking at our Lake Norman campus today, and then Olin Carter is at our South End campus. So I get to be here at Central and online. Um, but the first thing that I wanted to do as I kick off the message today is I just wanted to honor somebody that's near and dear to our heart. Um, one of our members here at Freedom House passed away last week. Um, his name is John Carter, and I think they're going to put a picture up of John. Um, but I just have to tell you a little bit about John. Um, John, we knew John from when we all went to church together in Richmond, Virginia. That's a picture of John. Um, John was the one who, when, when my husband got saved 32 years ago, took him under his wing, um, said, I'm going to teach you how to be an usher. John was the head usher. John was Bob. Bob. It's important, man, what you do. You never know what Troy Maxwells are going to be coming through, you know. So John took um, Pastor Troy under his wing and just mentored him, grew him. One of the most important things he said to him is, I'm going to teach you how to be on time. I'm going to teach you to be good for your word. I'm going to teach you how to serve other people. I'm going to teach you how to honor. And so all of those things John poured and instilled uh, into my husband. Uh, not knowing years later that we would be moving here to start the church and that things would be growing here in Charlotte, uh, years later, John and his family ended up moving down here um, to because John had Parkinson's. So for many years, stayed with his uh, daughter, and his wife and his daughter took care of him um, as he battled Parkinson's. But John would sit in the back in his wheelchair, and when we called um, his wife this week just to check in on her, she said, Pastor, every week John would sit there and he would look up at you and he'd go, that's my boy. That's my boy right there. And so I just wanted to honor John and his legacy and his life. Um, what a great, great man and a great family. Well, hey, we, yes. How many of you know John doesn't have Parkinson's anymore? So we are in a series, it's been a little bit of a sticky series, because um, it's called You Asked For It. So we've been answering all of the questions that you have been asking, and y'all have been asking some really good questions. And what you're doing is you've been putting us in the hot seat up here. We're having to answer a lot of questions that you're asking that most people wouldn't want to stand up here and answer. Um, did you see some of the questions? 
So each week you can look, there's different questions that are being asked. They run across the screen, but they're really good questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tackle um, several questions kind of all rolled up into one. And this, this particular message is called, How Do I Keep From Being Deceived? How do I keep from being deceived? Because there's a lot of things going on right now in our society, and if we're not careful, we can take the bait, right? So I'm going to go through that, and I'm going to talk about several different things under that umbrella as we discuss that. But the thing that is just so um, interesting about being deceived is when you're deceived, you just don't know it. So God will use other people to speak to you, and sometimes he will speak directly to you. But sometimes when we're deceived, we can't hear God's voice. And so he will use other people to help get rid of that deception and speak life into you. So that is what I'm hoping to do today. But I just want you to know, um, because this is not a politically correct church, we are a biblically correct church, you may have the opportunity to get offended today. And what I would just let you know is that I am an equal opportunity offender. Um, just like Jesus, people didn't like everything that Jesus said. As a matter of fact, when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, half the crowd left. Right? I'm not going to tell you to do that today, but I am going to take you to the word of God. And I'm going to let you know that the word of God is everything that you need right now. Everything that you need. And I'm going to ask you not to back off the word of God. So let's dive into this head on, and let's just start off, everybody say, Pastor Penny, you online too, say, Pastor Penny, I love you. All right, all right, y'all ready? Yeah, yeah, y'all are like gritting your teeth, what is she going to say? Matthew 22, 29, it says, Jesus answered them, you are deceived. That's a pretty strong statement, right? You are deceived. Why? He gave them two reasons. The first is because you do not know the scriptures and you do not know the power of God. So literally, I could lay this microphone down right now and I could get off of the platform and say those two things right there is everything you need to know today. You must know that we are deceived if we do not know the scriptures and if we do not know the power of God If we don't understand those two things, we will be deceived. Let's keep going and read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, False accusers, incontinent. Now, that does not mean you need depends. That means that you are unable to restrain yourself. Anybody maybe seen that lately in our society? Okay, let me keep going. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying, their pa- but, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 
Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Jesus described the end times to his disciples, and he said this in Matthew 24, 10. At that time, many, say many, not a few, but many will turn away from the faith and betray each other. Many. So how do we, how do you, how do I keep from becoming the many? If we know the thing that's so scary about deceiving is it's deceiving, how do we know when we are being deceived? What does that look like? How does that happen? That people that were following God, that were following the faith, that were Christ-centered, Christ-like, get deceived and walk away. And they turn on each other. How do you get something to crumble? Start a civil war. That's how you get things to crumble. And so he's saying many are going to turn away. How do I make sure that I'm not in the many? Romans 12, verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. With God helping you, I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life. I want you to take your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Why? Because he wants to develop well-formed maturity in you. That is God's plan, is to develop well-formed maturity in you. Our culture right now is not trying to do that for us. Our culture right now is trying to drag us down. As a matter of fact, our culture right now is trying to redefine any and everything, and it doesn't line up with the Word of God. I'm going to talk about some things today, and it may make you uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. Shepherds have a shepherd's hook for a reason, right? But what I want you to understand is as I go through some of these things where we've gotten off as a church or as a society, I don't want you to feel condemnation because God does not give you condemnation. Now, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit will absolutely convict you Conviction brings about movement, which brings about change. But condemnation is not from God. So as I'm going through these things, I don't want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to put yourself in a category, and I don't want you to feel shame. Okay? That's not what this is all about. This is to bring awareness that our eyes can be wide open. What are the, the, some of the things right now that our society is trying to to grab us and pull us into, they're redefining what marriage is. Marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's it. They're trying to redefine what you can call yourself, your gender. I, I, it's funny, about a year ago, I, I asked Siri how many different genders are there, and she came back with 51. 
But I asked her on the way to church, and you know how many she says now? She says there are as many genders as there are people on the planet because you can identify however you want to identify. So then I said, well, how many people are on the planet, Siri? Almost 7 billion. So there are 7 billion different genders according to culture right now. You can identify however you want to identify. And the thing is, is that the masses are getting involved in this and they're engaging in this. Why is this happening? Because he who controls the language will always control the masses. Whoever controls the dialogue will always win the argument. Do you understand that? You see, there is an attack on words right now, and it's really an attack on your ability to be able to think. The attack on words is really an attack on your ability to be able to think. So I'm going to go through some things. And again, I don't want anybody to feel condemned, but I want you to understand and see this playing out. I'm just going to, in random order, just tell you how our society is redefining things in in order to make it palatable. First of all, we, we don't really say abortion anymore. We say it's a woman's health care issue. Because, you see, uh, it's one thing to say abortion, but if you say a health care issue and it's a right to choose, well, you you know, I I don't want to take your right away from you. You know, I really don't want to push my opinion on you. Um, And if it's a health care issue, I don't want you to not get the health care that you need. So I will be quiet because it's now a woman's health care issue. No, that's wrong. Let's keep talking. An unborn baby. We don't call it an unborn baby anymore. What we call it is a non-viable tissue mass. Because, see, then my choices don't feel as uh, heavy because, see, it's just a tissue mass. I I don't have to connect with what I'm doing or my decisions because I'm being desensitized. I'm being seared with that hot iron. And so I'm no longer having to identify this as a baby. It's a tissue mass and it's non-viable. So I'm really not doing anything wrong. Do you understand? Let's keep going. I'm going to the strip club tonight. Actually, no, it's not a strip club anymore. You see, it's a gentleman's club. I'm not going to, to see strippers. Uh, I'm a gentleman, and gentlemen go to the gentleman's club because if I can make it more palatable, I won't feel convicted about going. So, so it's not the strip club. It, it's for gentlemen, and I, I'm a gentleman. It, it's not gay marriage. It is love wins. Do you not want love wins? Hashtag love wins. I mean, why would you not want somebody to be equal? Are you against equality? I, I, I mean, would you really want to take somebody's equality from them? Oh, well, I guess I better be quiet then. Oh, it's, it's not a swamp. It's not a swamp. It's a delicate wetland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, they're not illegal aliens, they're undocumented immigrants. We're going to say whatever we need to say just to change dialogue. Gender confusion isn't really gender confusion, it's expressing how you identify. Why would you want to take somebody's identity from them? 
Are you cruel? Are you unkind? Why would you do that? Pornography isn't, you know, you're watching porn. It's you're watching adult entertainment. Because, see, I don't feel as bad about watching adult entertainment because I'm an adult and it still gives me my choice as an adult, right? I'm, a, I'm an adult. I'm not watching porn. I'm just watching entertainment for adults. And if you're not an adult, you don't have to watch it. Just sliding it in on us, sliding it in, sliding it in. Here, here's another one. Here's another one. Y'all, y'all appreciate this one. It's no longer um, cheating on your spouse or having an adulterous affair. It's an entanglement. Y'all watching social media, y'all watching the news, you know exactly, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about on that one? The rest of you need to Google it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, right, here's another one, here's another one. And I want to explain on this one a little bit because I think people are confused on this one and I want you to understand. There is a difference between the organization Black Lives Matter and the statement Black Lives Matter. I want to explain this to you for a second because there's a lot of Christians that are getting caught up in this. The statement Black Lives Matter is true. And if you don't believe that and you call yourself a Christian, I would actually question your Christianity. I would question your Christianity. But what I do want you to understand is that the organization Black Lives Matter is ungodly. What they stand for is ungodly. If you go and you look at their mission statement, one of the number one things they say is they want to pull apart the nuclear family. No mom, no dad. Um, The women that started it, they identify as queer, and they actually want to go in. They brought the homosexual agenda. They brought in Marxism. They brought in um, defunding our police. They've brought in all these other trans agendas, all of these things, and they sent the Trojan horse in. That's what they've done. They've sent the Trojan horse in. Here's why. Because all of us right now should be at attention for understanding that the black people in our community, we need to join with them. And so what's happened is let's send this in as a Trojan horse and everybody will jump on board with it and won't even question what the motive really is. So you have tens upon tens of millions of dollars going into an organization that believes it's okay and actually wants to support terminating black babies that are in the womb. All of these things are happening. The people might say, but but black lives matter. Yes, they do. But don't confuse it with the organization because if you do, you're aligning yourself with something that's ungodly. And we need to understand what the devil is doing. He's slipping the peas into our mashed potatoes and we're sucking it down going, "Mm -mm, this is good and it's not good. And we've got to understand the difference. Here's here's another thing that's happening right now. Pedophilia. They're trying to get this redefined as a sexual orientation. Go look it up. Right now, pedophilia, they're trying to get it defined as an actual sexual orientation. And you've got to go back. This is how history starts in our country. We start identifying something and talking about it and talking about it. And then we're desensitized. We're desensitized. And we love the hashtags. So the hashtag with this one is hashtag love is love. Love is love. And they don't even call them children. They're like, it's an underage woman. No, I'm sorry, but when you're eight years old and you haven't been through puberty, there's nothing woman about you. 
You don't get to redefine things so, so, and put it on a little toasty cracker and we eat it up. And, and we don't have any idea what we're eating. It's happening over and over and over and we've got to say stop, it's enough. We've got to support things that are godly. There's plenty of godly things out there. And, and, and I see women, we've done the same thing. We get on bandwagons of I am woman, I am woman. People ask me all the time, because I'm a bold, strong woman, are you a woman's liberator? No. I didn't need a man to liberate me when God already did. And we're jumping on these hashtags and we're jumping on this stuff. And, and it's not, it's not pro-woman or pro-black or pro-whatever, it's actually causing division. There is nothing in my Bible that says it's okay to pit men and women against each other or black and white people against each other or you've got different groups of, you know, the light skin and the dark skin. And like, y'all, there's nothing about any of that that's, un that's godly. When are we going to say enough is enough? No, I'm not a women's liberal. I want my husband opening my car door for me, daggone it. The words we speak become the house we live in. Do you like the house that you're living in? Ask yourself that question. Because culture right now, culture rejects correction. They do not want to hear correction. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. There are people that don't want to hear correction. We understand if we have kids that that's important. But some of us who are in this room or watching online, we don't handle correction well. Why don't we handle it well? Because somewhere along the way, and it was probably had to do with the home of our origin, where correction wasn't done properly, so we, we take it wrong. We take it as an attack, or you don't love me, or you don't care for me. Let me tell you, a lot of times, this is what I see when people get corrected. I see anger, like, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? Or fear, do you still love me? Rejection, you, you don't even care about me, or you wouldn't say that. Shame and resentment and rebellion. People feel devalued or defensive, withdrawn, embarrassed complacent, nonchalant, or prideful. You guys, my Bible says that if you're not being corrected, somebody's not loving you well. Correction should be a natural part of a believer's life if we want to be healthy. Correction doesn't mean I like what you said. Correction means I'm willing to do what's right even if it hurts my flesh. And it has to be okay. You see, the pain of disobedience is way worse than the pain you might feel from being corrected. The moment that we become unteachable is the moment we better just unpack our bags and stay right where we are because we are not going anywhere for a very long time. When was the last time somebody corrected you and you said, thank you so much for caring about me enough that you want me to grow? Because it's a whole lot easier just to say nothing. It's a whole lot easier just to let people do whatever they want and sit back and not have the hard conversations. But that's not how growth happens. It's not. Counterculture is to be teachable. It's to be teachable. It's to say, you know what? I don't want to be a know-it-all. I want to be a learn-it-all. I want to learn. Culture right now wants us offended. 
holding on to annoyance or irritation or anger. Why? Because offense sells. Offense will get you watching the news, get you stuck to it. Offense is all over the TV right now. We're tuning in because we want to see the Republicans attack the Democrats and vice versa. We want to see, you know, the gay, straight, the old, young, the black, white, the male, female. We want to get on there and we want to watch everybody be offended. And we tune in and it sells. We're watching it. We're hopping on. That's where we're getting our news from. They make us buy what they're selling. Jesus said, it is impossible that no offenses should come in Luke 17, 1. It's not that you won't be offended. You're going to be offended in this world. But what happens when you get offended? That's the question I would like to ask you is what do you do with that? What will your response be? Let me show you this. And let me tell you what, what happens in our society. You know, people get offended and they start lashing out at you. And then so the next thing you know is you're like, oh, well, I better not post this because, you know, they're, they're going to say that I'm, I'm a bigot. Okay, well, wait a second. If you say, hey, I don't believe gay marriage is of God, but I love gay people, they're like, no, 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 you hate gay people. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I, I sat a couple down in our church that wasn't married that was having sex, and I said, you shouldn't be having sex. This is wrong. Do I hate heterosexual couples too? Like it doesn't, the argument doesn't even add up. But see, when you can silence people, you shut down debate. You shut down discussion. So you're like, oh, I can't say this because I'm a bigot. I'm going to be quiet. Oh, I can't say that. I'm going to be looked at as a misogynist. I'm going to be quiet. Oh, I can't say that. I'm going to be looked at as a hater, so I'm going to be quiet. Oh, I can't say this. They're going to call me a racist. I'm going to be quiet. And before you know it, the Christians have no voice whatsoever. We are so afraid of somebody calling us a name or saying something to us that we are literally being controlled. And listen, I am not telling you that you won't have an opportunity to be offended. I'm just saying don't take the bait. Let me show you this picture. It's a bear trap. And this bear trap, um, the word offense in the Bible is actually the Greek word scandalon. Right? When Jesus said there's going to be a lot of offenses that come. It's the word scandal on. It's where we get the word scandal from. Now, what I want to explain to you about that word scandal, that, that word right there, scandal on, is offense is not the trap. Offense, as defined in the Bible, that scandal on word actually means the bait that you put in the trap that looks good, that looks juicy, that looks tantalizing. So you actually come in, because if you just saw a trap, you wouldn't put your hand in it. If you just knew offense is a trap, don't put your hand in it. But what does the devil do? He puts something juicy in it to get you offended, and you put your hand because you think it's juicy, and then it clamps right around you. And that thing will not let go of its grip. We now are offended. Offended. Don't take the bait. I have seen more people leave churches, leave marriages, leave jobs, leave friendships because of offense. And there's two types of offense that happen. One, those who have been treated unjustly. But the one that I see most often than not is the second one, those who think they have been treated unjustly. There is a difference there is a difference. So how do you know if you're offended? Well, usually the person's name is on your lips way more than it should be. 
And usually you're, you're picking up your phone, you're asking five people about that person instead of picking up and calling the person yourself, which is a very immature Christian to do that. And guys, I'm speaking to Christians today. I'm not just speaking to everybody because this is, this is you know, next level Christian living, right? As Christians, we give up the right to live offended. We don't have a right to. We have to make things right between each other. And doesn't mean, like, here's the thing that I don't understand right now. Why can't people disagree? I'm like, why are you, like, flipping the finger and doing, like, disagree. I don't care if you disagree. Don't be disrespectful. Don't be ungodly. Don't be ugly. But disagreement is not a sin, right? Am I preaching to the choir today? Do y'all understand this? Okay, okay. So what else, what else? People that are offended, they usually desire pity more than to grow. People that are offended, um, it's really hard to, uh, to talk about somebody when you're praying for them. So usually I find out that they're not praying for the person. It's really hard for me to be offended over somebody I'm literally on my knees every day praying for. It's really hard. People that are offended don't listen to wise counsel. People that are offended will rarely see themselves as offended. Jesus said this in Revelation. He said this to the church at Laodicea. He said, I want to tell you how you see yourselves, and then I'd like to tell you how I see you. He said, you see yourselves as um, having need of nothing, rich, wealthy, and um, I want to tell you, I want to expose your condition. I see you as wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, they had a mistake in their financial strength for spiritual strength because pride hid what their true condition is. Do you know offended people like offended people? They sniff each other out. They post on each other's social medias. They just get going. And when I see people like that, I'm like, block. I don't, I don't want to participate in that because if you're not careful, you're going to stick your hand and grab the apple. You've got to be careful. Counterculture is being forgiving, quick to forgive. We let go of hurts quickly. Listen, it doesn't mean what the person said didn't bother us. But what being unoffendable means is that it shouldn't stay bothering you. We've got to let it go. And I just decided to always assume a benevolent motive. You know, does this person love me? Does this person care about me? Well, maybe... Maybe they didn't mean what they said, or maybe I'll just have a conversation. Amazing. Amazing what a conversation could do, right? All right, all right. Here's, here's another one. Culture says to dishonor. Dishonor. You can say what you want about who you want whenever you want. As a matter of fact, disparaging leaders is, is encouraged. It's encouraged. Why? Here's, here's the thing people don't understand. The reason leaders always get attacked so much is because they're always having to bring correction. And, and if, if I had to sit you for this, and then I had to sit somebody else for this, and y'all get together, and you both talk about how you got sat down from something, then all of a sudden, we're, we're all offended now, we're all mad, and, and we're going to dishonor. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's okay to dishonor. Let me take it a step further. There is nothing in the Bible that says it's okay to dishonor your president. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. 
There is nothing in my Bible that says it's okay to dishonor President Trump. There is nothing in my Bible that says it was okay to dishonor President Obama. There is nothing in my Bible that says it was okay to dishonor President Bush. There is nothing in my Bible that says it's okay to dishonor President Clinton. As far back as I can remember, we're going to leave it right there. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is okay to say I do not agree with their policy. I do not agree with their stance. It is never okay to say what a flippin' idiot. I can't believe we got such an imbecile to be our president. It's wrong. Now, how many of you in this room agreed with everything that all four of those presidents ever did? Not one person? But you know what we can all do? We can all pray for them. And I'm not saying that you can't disagree. I got on um, social media and disagreed because the governor of California banned being able to sing or worship God in church. I'm going to disagree with you. But I'm not going to call you an idiot or I'm not going to start going down the list of names. Honor needs to come back. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God established all authority, but all authority is not godly. Do you understand the difference? Okay. 1 Peter 2.17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Disagreement is allowed in proper form, but disrespect is ungodly. Do we understand that? Okay. Counterculture is to honor. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. I find out an awful lot about you if you go to the restaurant with me and how you treat the waiter. How do we honor people that are maybe under us, that are serving us? How do we honor well? We need to bring honor back, not just in word, but in deed. Another thing our culture is pushing right now is worry. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, this is what my Bible says. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about COVID. Do not be anxious about paying your bills. Do not be anxious about your marriage. Do not be anxious about your children. You put anything in there, whatever it is you're walking through, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus how in the world with the times we are living in, is it, is it able for us, are we able to have peace? The peace of God which will transcend your understanding. It transcends 2020. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you work in advertising or marketing, you know that fear and worry is what sells. It used to be that sex sells. 
And they realized that if they, if they had the woman in the bikini and they put her in front of the sports car, it would sell. But then they realized there's something that will sell far more powerfully than sex, and it's worry, fear. After 9-11, sales of Hummers doubled because they marketed it as, hey, if you get caught in a war, make sure you have a Hummer. Fear. They're peddling fear, right? Listerine, it was one of the first antiseptic companies. They come out and they say, do you know how many germs you have living in your mouth? And they give us the number of germs. And then they proceed to tell us about halitosis, which wasn't even a word then. Listerine made the word halitosis up. It is now in the dictionary, but they made up a condition and said, we don't want you to have this made-up condition, and if you do not use Listerine, you will have halitosis. So they went from 118,000 in sales to 8 million in one year because we feared halitosis. True story. A made-up word. And we bought it, hook, line, and sinker. We tell the moms that watch the commercials, if you do not get this cereal, your kids might not get the eight essential vitamins and minerals that they need. And we sell peanut butter. We sell, if you were a choosy mom, you would choose What does peanut butter have to do with parenting? Because if you don't buy Jif, you're a bad mom. Let me go buy Jif peanut butter. Do you understand what society is doing to you? What if we learned trust? Psalms 56.3, we were counterculture. And he said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Last one I'm going to end on. Our culture right now says to be rebellious. What does that mean? It means constantly challenge authority. Be insubordinate. Buck authority. Question it. When I was in college, there was actually a t-shirt that said question authority. And it was like all the, the college students thought it was great. We're just going to question everybody. I read this um, story, and I, I think it's so apropos right now. Prior to the Civil War, um, the government was actually working on an experiment because they were wanting to switch out horses and mules and start using camels to carry supplies during wartime. So they did this test. They had 90 camels, and they did this test, and they said, okay, we're gonna, all the things that we're going to test for, we're going to see how the camels fare. In every single test, the camels far exceeded how much weight they could carry, the distances that they could walk, the amount of time where they would need to stop and refuel and get water, the type of terrain, the rugged terrain, and every single category that they came up with, the camels far succeeded the horses and the mules. Every category. But they came back, and they wrote a letter to the government, and it said this. It says, in the end, the decision was made not to use the camels. In spite of the fact that they exceeded in, ch in the challenges, the camels scared the horses and the mules and all of the animal animals in general. 
the soldiers could not bond with a horse. No one was able to, the soldiers could bond with a horse, but no one was able to bond with a camel. The camels bit us, spat upon us, made noises when they walked, and they had a nasty personality worse than any mule. They were rebellious. What's the lesson? Ability and accomplishments are not always the most important thing. We've got to be able to have our attitude in check. What is counterculture? It's submission. Submission. Submitting, coming under the mission. And when that happens, our flesh has to die a thousand deaths. It is so against our culture right now. Submission, if you hear it in our society, is actually a weak word. When Jesus himself submitted himself to the Father, and that's actually where his strength came from. Our strength comes from when we submit ourselves to each other. There would be no racism if we submitted ourselves to each other. There would be no misogyny if we submitted ourselves to each other. There would be no pedophilia if we submitted ourselves to each other in a godly way. None of these things would even exist. But we have a culture that is drifted. Have you ever been at the beach before and you're in the water and next thing you know you look up for your towel and it's way down there because you just slowly drifted. Would you stand up on your feet? Anybody ever heard the expression, how to boil a frog? Raise your hand if you've heard that expression, how to boil a frog. A lot of you online, have you heard that expression? How do you boil a frog? Well, you can, you can look it up online. This is, this is the truth. This is what it says. If you take a frog and you put it in a pot of boiling water, the frog will immediately jump back out. But what you do is you take the frog and you set it in some tepid water on the stove. Just gradually turn the heat. Gradually turn the heat. Gradually turn the heat. The frog doesn't even know that it's being boiled alive. You see, what's happened with a lot of us is we've been sitting in some tepid water. And we don't even know what's been happening. We've drifted from what we know that the word of God says. We've taken steps back. If you put us in the boiling water, we'd get that. We'd understand that. You know, I think sometimes we think the devil has a, a you know, red suit and pitchfork and and he's way more crafty than that. He comes in under the guise of something good. He comes in under the guise of something good. Just because something may look like a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. And I would just like to challenge us today. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? The Bible says, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I would just like to challenge you today. If you say, you know what? Maybe I have drifted away from my walk with the Lord and I've been in some tepid water and, and I want to come back today. Or maybe you've not had a relationship with Jesus at all and you just say, hey, that's me today. Whether you're online or whether you're in the room, I would just like to invite you to be a part of the family. You don't have to have everything perfect. You don't have to have everything figured out, but I'd like to invite you to be part of the family today. If that's you and you said, you know what, today I just need a fresh start. I just need a, a do-over. I don't want to sit in tepid water anymore. Would you just lift your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. 
Anybody online, you can just click the hand button right there, or you can just um, type in for prayer right there in the box. We just want to make sure that all of us that we're walking this thing out, that we're hand in hand, arm in arm, that no devil in hell would pull us apart, that we would recognize the enemy and his lies and his deceit, that we're not going to give in, we're not going to step back. Can we just all say this together? Say, Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We ask you to transform our hearts and our minds. Draw us closer to you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we fully surrender every part of our life to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.